Hello, I'm Maud Hawk Frenchow from Common Field, introducing the next session from What Now towards artist-led movements, the art of gathering. What's the future of festivals? With a diversity of new festivals popping up, often curated by and centering historically underserved communities, what lessons can be passed on from seasoned festivals with institutional knowledge to share? As large corporate festivals seem to increasingly grow away from their modest roots, what role do smaller festivals play in helping support artistic ecosystems? On Sunday, October 2nd, Julie Chang Shulman moderated a conversation exploring these questions alongside Carolyn Hitt of On the Block, Kelly Ferriar of Waterfront Park Seattle and formerly Northwest Folklife Festival, Roger Maldonado of Mediums Collective, and Renata Bryant of Taking Black Pride. First of all, a huge thank you to all of you around the perimeter that came to share your presence and your energy. Shouts to Soil. Shouts to Creative Justice. Oh my gosh, I forgot your name, so I'm gonna come over here and see. What is your name again? Uh, Ramona. Ramona is Kayo. Thank you, Artist Trust, for being here. My wonderful co-organizer, V. On the Block Bookcone Studios, we have Smash. Thank you for being present. Chef Ariel, Seattle plant-based food chef. We got the Culinary Cartel. We got Mama Tabs back here with the good vitamin D rosehip syrups. We got Kiara Hall with Mahaba Moss and fresh fruits and veggies and smoothies and all kinds of things. So. It's been a very full weekend. Oh, and of course, BIPOC stack, cannot forget. Make sure they're over here in the crowd with the baby. Renata, thank you so much. All right, so we were anticipating Cody Choi to be a part of the conversation. They may or may not make it. Um, we'll just send out some energy that we hope they do. But if not, we still have a really rich, uh, constellation of people over here. Um, squad fam, things touch, says words. All right. So I believe we're also um, streaming via Zoom. So if y'all want to share that link, if you have somebody that you know is going to find this conversation of interest, um, you could do so. You'll find that in the Discord, which I hope that all y'all have become a part of because um, we're gonna be using that to carry these conversations forward. So my name is Julie C. I'm an artist, um, organizer, and uh, part of On the Block. But I'm here um, in the role of um, wanting to build connections across and through. And that's like across and through all the organizations and individuals here, across and through all of our initiatives and efforts and energies and across and through because we are stronger together. We work smarter together. We're more efficient and uh, resilient. And so um, in that spirit, I'm gonna pass this mic and let the wonderful people 
to my right introduce themselves. Um, but we're gonna start off by, I wanna say, um, if y'all could just say your names, just the name of the event too, or org that you wanna uh, talk about right now. But also a little bit about your own artistry and identity as like a creative or cultural worker that got you to a place of being a convener of people. people. So we'll start with Roger. <laughs> I get the tough one, huh? How's it going, everyone? My name is Roger Maldonado. Um, I'm the founder, brand director of Mediums Collective. We're a local streetwear brand. Um, I'm also the founder of Fremont Fridays, which is a 13-week summer festival in Fremont. Um, and then our latest project is called La Plaza slash Northwest Fashion Show, which La Plaza was a five-week um, street market here in um, Capitol Hill as well. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the events that I do, um, the introductions that I, um, the, the events that I create, um, and really, you know, it really started as, you know, my organizing, community organizing started because of my brand. You know, I'm a, I'm a pop-up business, I don't have a storefront, so I'm always looking for ways to promote my clothes and, and sell my clothes, right, and events was always a way to do that. Um, you know, I later started realizing that, hey, you know, let's start putting our own events instead of, you know, I used to pay really high fees to go to like the major festivals back in the day. Um, and I realized, hey, why don't we just put all this money and put it into our own community and invite my other homies that have a clothing brand, my other homies that sell tacos, my other homies that sell this, right? And then slowly we started building a community of vendors and artists and creatives um, and it turned into something beautiful. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Fremont Fridays. I don't know if you guys are familiar with La Plaza um, and the Mediums Collective events that we do, but it, 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 it turned into something, you know, it was very organic. It was, it was out of a need for me. You know, COVID happened. All the events got canceled. I used to travel a lot. Um, and that's when I started really focusing in Seattle and in my community and, and really, you know, making sure that, you know, I create opportunities and spaces for me to sell my clothes and, and retail my clothes as well as offer those opportunities to others. So, yeah. Don't. Thank you so much, Carolyn Hitt. Thanks, Roger. Uh, my name is Carolyn Hitt. I am the founder of Blue Cone Studios and a co-founder of On The Block. Um, I, so Blue Cone is an art studio. We've got sort of ceramics and, um, it's where a lot of visual artists work, but we also have a couple of other studios that, um, you know, a recording studio and then a photography studio with um, sewing machines in it. And I think I come from theater. Uh, I'm a visual artist now, but I started in the theater. And so I think that really feeds into why um, I create collaborative events, uh, because I didn't want around art, because uh, I found uh, visual art to be too solitary a medium for me, so um, I like to bring artists together. Uh, I like to bring artists together in collaboration and not competition. And um, we do a lot around collaboration at Blue Cone. I think that's probably my number one uh, sort of thing. And to me, uh, artists getting out there and creating festivals. I uh, another of our on the block partners, Diana Adams, who runs Vermilion. We'd actually been trying, because Blue Cone is on Capitol Hill on 11th Avenue, we'd been trying for years to sort of pull off a whole street festival, you know, that countered the Capitol Hill block party and the, and the gates and prices of, you know, all, 
all of the other things and uh, have a have an open open street fair. You know, kind of like they've got all of the the food markets and or you know the Sunday things. And why can't we do that here? So um, and a lot of that is so that artists have an opportunity to show their work because I really believe that um, that you know. A lot of times artists are stuck trying to get into galleries and things and that can be a long road and that can be a lot of weight and so more opportunities for visual artists, those that make things, those that create things to um, get their work out there and get it seen um, in our community is really important to me. So I'm happy to be here and idea on this stuff. Next up we have Kelly. Thank you so much. How's it going everyone? My name is Kelly. Um, I have been a lover of music my whole life and spent most of my 20s playing and touring and trying to get in, play venues, trying to get into the festival circuit, try to get in to, you know, share, share my, my voice and, and my art. And um, that was really what brought me um, to really thinking outside of the box of what, what are ways that I can connect with other musicians, connect with other artists, connect with other communities that are looking to find new platforms. Um, during that time that I was looking, uh, Northwest Folklife had an opening searching for someone to come on to the team and help with that. Um, and that really propelled me for the next 12 years of my life. I was working at Northwest Folklife that puts on a pretty large festival taking place at Seattle Center. Um, and I think is coming up on 52 years. Um, and I was there bringing the festival up to its 50th anniversary. Um, my work at Folklife was just an amazing experience. It really shifted my passion in life of, you know, I spent all that time playing my own music, trying to get out there. Um, and what happened when I joined uh, Northwest Folklife was I realized my role in being a convener and how to ensure that voices that aren't being heard or perhaps uh, voices and communities that are looking for a larger space to showcase who they are and, and their traditions and their songs and their dances um, was indeed my role and um, I loved working at Folklife. I was there for 12 years and uh, also spent some time working with Julie C there and we saw the festival come through to the very first years of being digital which was which was a lot. <laughs> Julie laughs but inside we're crying thinking about the memories of trying to move you know, a 25-plus stage experience that's been going on for almost 50 years to be experienced and enjoyed and shared virtually. Um, so, yeah, and my, my current work, I'm working with Friends of Waterfront Seattle. Uh, it's been really, really lovely as this project is, ex you know, going to be expanding to a 20-acre park down on the waterfront. Um, it's a very new nonprofit. And I love the way that they're moving right now, intentionally trying to figure out, um, you know, how do we ensure that community voices are part of this project? How do we ensure that how we're activating it um, 
uh, ties into how, how people feel in their neighborhoods and that the waterfront is their neighborhood. So excited to be a part of that, excited to bring some programming and, and activations and um, really share the opportunity out with, with artists. So thanks for having me. Thank you, Julie. Thank you so much, Kelly. And we have, last but not least, Renata. Uh, so I wrote out what I'm gonna say because I hate public speaking. Um, my name's Renata. I'm a co-founder of Taking Black Pride. Uh, I've been in Seattle for about 17 years. Um, I think one of the central questions was how folks came into doing this work. And I think for me and some of the other folks in Taking Black Pride, it was just in trying to address a need and a deficit. Um, a lot of us came from the earlier cutie BIPOC community where there used to be a lot of events that like centered us, like darkness, black weirdo parties, night crush, and all of that, and it really felt like that was a thing of the past. Um, and so we came together during the Chop Chaz era of Seattle history um, due to shared experiences around just not feeling safe or heard or affirmed as like black, queer, AFAB folks. Um, and we decided to turn that around and create an event that really held black folks at the core. Um, and was not only based on like revelry, but trying to get folks material needs met. So we centered having harm reduction booths there, having other social workers there, having homeless outreach, um, and also making sure to pay artists what their worth is. So that's something that for me, taking black pride in like my own personal politics are like in complete alignment. Uh, I think a lot of artists struggle to make it in the city, especially queer, trans, black folks, uh, in terms of cost of living, in terms of not feeling supported or celebrated or having our labor acknowledged. And so it's really central to taking black pride to make sure that people leave there with their rent paid so that we can retain those community members who are doing the work and not being heard outside of like token one month events where representation is celebrated one day a month. Um, and I also want to give a shout out to Ivana and Maddie Mooney for their work in community. They've been pillars for a really, really long time and the event wouldn't be able to take place without them. Okay, yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you all of you for being here. Um, so I really hope that this conversation would unfold pretty organically. I would love to open it up to um, y'all in this space. I know that there's some conveners amongst us already. Um, but if anybody had any questions, I welcome you to bring them forward or, or think about them. And um, if you do, you can come up here and we'll pass you the mic. Uh, and if not immediately, uh, I have some suggested questions to in the interim. <laughs> Actually, uh, Kelly, because Kelly, you had a pretty unique role of taking uh, 50, so Northwest Folklife Festival, just to give some context, is the, I think, the largest four-day um, free art and cultural festival in the country um, that doesn't have a ticket fee. It is, um, you know, open participation. We don't say free, it's donation-based, but um, you had the kind of unique role of taking the organization from, um, you know, this institution that had gone a certain way, that was very, let's just say, white, right? Had his way of doing it, and then really were able to transform um, kind of the, the way that it operated, right? 
Um, could you talk a little bit about like the challenges of that, working like in an organization that already had like a board, already had a, a way of doing things with a certain trajectory? For sure, for sure. Yeah, my, my time at Northwest Folk Life, um, there's a lot of conversation around what is folk? What does folk mean? Um, and, uh, you know, there was a board of directors that had been part of the organization. Um, and the, the idea of folk, I per perhaps, was, was almost tied to a genre. And it was tied to maybe like a, a revival folk, that idea of folk which we all know is, is not true, right? It's not folk. Every, every person, every human, every community has folk that you are tied to. It's, it's your heritage, it's your culture, it's your community, it's your food, it's your song, it's your dance, it's the clothes you wear, it's how you gather, it's where you gather. Um, and so I think really just working with uh, Northwest Folk Life at the time was working with um, a few community organizers that would come in um, and for the festival put together different showcases, put together different areas of the festival. Um, and it made sense as an organization that, you know, presents itself as a community-centered, community-centric organization to lean into that. Um, and so really a lot of my work was changing over the internal curation that would happen of the festival and the programs and really finding different community partners that were interested in partnering with Northwest Folklife to, to have as, as a space um, to use a, as a resource. Um, and that program is called the Community Coordinator Program. And so in my time that I was there, I think when I started in 2008, there's maybe about 30 community coordinators. And over time, we just really grew that, understanding that for, for the festival and for the organization to truly be of the people, um, how, how do we make sure that that agency and that representation of who we are here in, that, in the Pacific Northwest is, is back in the hands of the folks. Um, again, moving from that place of having, you know, two to three different curators that come from a folklorist background that were making those decisions on their own. Um, so that really felt like the biggest way in my role at Folklife I could lean into um, walking that talk that the organization spoke of, of being community-centric, was really finding the way to get it back into the hands of the community. Um, and I'm not sure what the total number is now, but there's probably about uh, 160 or so folks, community folks, that curate what those programs are at Folklife. And so that felt like the biggest the biggest shift um, of moving it away from that set piece of folk and that set board of director at the time and moving it into the hands of the people. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, my next question I was going to send actually to Roger because um, mediums, you know, when you, when you go to a mediums event, 
it's not just like the markets, right? Like there's a whole community, and so I wanted you to speak. And it's family, so you'll show up. You know, you you got you work with your brother. Um, you'll have sometimes your parents there doing pop-ups with you, and too. So I would love for you to share with us a little bit about like the relationships that kind of shape how you move and why. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Well, when it comes to my events and what I do, I mean, I'm Mexican, so I feel like you know we come from a lot of a strong family ties. You feel me? Um, and it's something that is reflected on my work. It's something that is reflected in what I do. And it's something that is reflected in, in the community that I'm trying to bring and create with these events, right? So, you know, when, when it comes to our mediums events, right, Fremont Fridays, um, La Plaza, and every other event, I try to make sure that it's all inclusive, right? And everyone feels like family because that's what, that, that, that's what you are to me if you're helping me build what I'm trying to do. You know what I'm saying? If you're a vendor, you're coming out here you know, super early to set up and you're leaving super late to tear down, you know what I mean? And that's the experience that I experienced, so I'm able to connect with you as an individual and as family, you know what I'm saying? Because we, we become the vendor family, right? Artists as well, you know, you put in the work and I know what kind of work goes into the art, right? Um, into creating something special and creating a performance. So for me, I feel like it's always appreciating just like the art form and really just creating a community where it just feels, you know, like it's just family oriented, right? It, 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 there's a lot of love to, to the events that we do. People coming and shaking hands, people, you know, people, you know, really networking and vibing with each other, right? There's no, you know, I feel like all of my events, you know, because we bring that type of energy, because I feel like that's the type of energy that I bring. There's no drama on my events, right? Because sometimes, like, you know, last Friday we brought lowriders and we brought, you know, some Mexican dancers, Costa Rican dancers, and we bring different groups from different communities. And it's beautiful to really see how everybody interacts with each other when it's different car groups or different groups from different communities, but they come into my event and they show love to each other. You know what I'm saying? Hey, I respect what you do and I respect who you are. You know what I'm saying? And I just, to me, it's just beautiful to see because that's the kind of energy that I bring to my events, right? Because I respect you as an artist, I respect you as a vendor, I respect you as an individual coming here and supporting what we do and being able to collaborate together, right? So I feel like when it comes to events, you know, and as an event organizer, your energy reflects a lot into the, the energy of your event, you know? And um, to me, you know, it's been really beautiful to really see people really coming together and working together and see a lot of collaborations, um, you know, that, that happen organically because they've met at Fremont Fridays, because they met at La Plaza, because they met at a Mediums Collective event. So, um, yeah. Thank you so much. And the next question I have is for um, Renata. Renata, you, um, you talked about how the taking black pride, I love how you said it's about meeting material needs. And I was wondering if you were down to share a little bit about that, like how, how the event itself supports the organizations that support the community that it's coming from. Um, I guess the most succinct answer to that would be we really prioritize making sure that folks leave there with not an absurd amount of money, but like that their art is well compensated because I think that that's something that happens very rarely in Seattle. Um, you know, people are working on sets for weeks and months and then leaving with like $50 from a door cut. 
and it's really shitty and it also leads to us not retaining like a thriving arts community like so many people have left the city in the last five to ten years so many brilliant queer trans black and bipoc folk who have been contributing to community for a really long time no longer have a place and so i think that even like we're trying to figure out how to expand our event so that it's not just annual but like we're doing our part to redistribute wealth, I would say, and that's like a central tenet. Um, I think that also you had mentioned earlier um, how our event relates to like the corporatization of pride. Um, and I think that that's one of those things where like, you know, on our second year, we had some pretty harsh experiences with like queer pride events in Seattle that were like actively undermining what we were trying to do. And I think that 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 sort of lends itself to the corporatization and the underpaying of artists and silencing of voices that are trying to like reflect what should be happening in community. Um, there's a lot of money out there that it doesn't need to be sequestered amongst a couple of like organizers or a couple of people who have a monopoly um, and then are able to like tokenize those that are like barely holding on. Um, I don't know if that answers your question. I kind of rambled. I wish I had it written. Yeah. Totally. Thank you so much. Um, so the last but not least, of course, Carolyn, I do have a question for you, too. Um, one of my favorite Carolyn quotes is, this is my art. You'll be out there on the block, you know, during the event, like, this is my art. Um, part of what you, you identify as a social practice artist and you are a facilitator, I see you um, find passion in, 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 in helping other people execute their vision. And so I would love for you to speak a little bit about like how that plays out and on the block and just in the life. Uh, it, it actually <clears throat> plays out a lot. I'm, I'm just a big, big, big supporter of artists. Like I love people that are going after creative crafts, all, all types, right? Um, and so it's great, you know, I used to do an event called Tuesday Tea where I'd open the studio every Tuesday from six to nine and people would just come up and make stuff. And then to see some of those kids, and I say kids because I'm 47, not because they're actual kids. Um, but you know, whenever, it, to me it's that sort of like, I'm, I'm extremely passionate about the 18 to like sort of like 25 year old range where it's a place where you can get really lost and a lot of services are gone and you're expected to be an adult and ain't shit out there for you, right? So that's where I really, really focus things. And I also think it's a great, you know, like when you don't know what to do, make something, right? you know and 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 to keep out of trouble make something you know like that's the plan and that was one of the reasons i did it and to, but to see some of those guys create brands out of that realize that there was something they wanted to do have some materials to practice some stuff and try out their things and then to go out and be like i got a booth i can do a booth i've got a whole thing you know they take it themselves off however they want and i just really um believe in low barrier access for people to uh, express themselves and, and share their things. And I'm really all about uh, the independent economy and those of us that do have to, you know, like how, how are we gonna be fully compensated for being artists, right? This is, a, this is a 24 hour fucking job, right? Apologies for my swearing. That's why I'm not allowed on panels often. Um, <laughs> but it, it, it is, it's like, it's an all the time, like our existence is art. Right? And the fest, like, on the block is so beautiful for me 
And it's one of those, like, I, I kind of dissociate a little bit because it's like, once we put, put it all out there and everybody's there, then I just kind of float around in it, right? Because the vibe is there and everybody's happy and everybody's having a good time. And, I, I, and, you know, I've been to so many kind of, not a lot, but certain street fairs or festivals that the vibe is not. It's a whole different thing. And it's like, oh, this is not my vibe. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know whose vibe this is. I, mean, I, I don't know how I ended up here. But I feel like um, I feel like everybody that's meant to be in our vibe it shows up, right? Like you show up and, you're, and, you, and you know you're like, oh, oh this, oh, this is definitely where I'm supposed to be, right? Like this is how I want to spend my Saturday, like hanging out here, absolutely. Um, and I think more events and more uh, opportunities for us to be able to gather in that way. And also, again, redistribute the wealth and also keep our wealth within our community and sharing things amongst ourselves. You know, I think that's the biggest thing for me, right? And yeah, it's great if people from the other markets or whatever and people, you know, tourists come through or whatever, wonderful. But what I love is like, I'll buy a thing, like it's, almost, it's like, oh, I see that there. Let me see if I sell this thing and then I might go get that thing, right? You know what I mean? Like, and there's this sort of like exchanging and keeping it within our communities that I think is really, really, really important. Um, and that's and 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 having the multiple levels of experience is also important. You know, some of these some of these events are so restrictive because you know it's like a two thousand dollar booth fee. These kids ain't got two thousand dollars to go see if they can sell some stickers. You know what I mean? Like, can they get a shot? Right, but also every le every level, like it's an opportunity to practice. Like maybe you never set up a booth, and then you go to an event and you see how some other people's booths, and you're like, oh word, I gotta step this shit up. And you know, you advance by being amongst each other and seeing how other people are moving and shaking, and you think like, well, you know, like if I just sit, if if I'm never at my booth, I'm gonna, it's probably, I'm not gonna sell a lot of shit, probably. You know what I mean? But you, the younger folks get to learn, or not even younger, because this is not an age thing. This is like the entry, you know, like wherever you are at in your craft and your decision to go and make it and go and give it a shot, right? Having events that have that like easier entry, like sure, come on in, see, pull a rack up, you know, like, oh, you just painted some clothes last, roll a rack up, you know, like whatever. I actually really love it when all the buskers end up around or the, we've had some people just be like, I saw y'all doing a thing, I thought I'd come do it. And it's like, dope, sure, everybody go, like, you know, um, and I'm, I'm so for like free stuff, you know, not for like events that don't cost things to get in because I think that every time it does, there's, that's all the people that can't do that. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, that's, and I'm, also, and I'm also excited about the ways that these things do expand virtually so that even more people can participate. So that's something I think I went off topic. <laughs> yeah, First, I, that was beautiful. Um, I, yeah, I actually I feel like I've learned a lot about accessibility from this event and the, and the intention that Commonfield is putting in um, with all of this. And so I hope that, you know, to be able to like find ways to integrate this into, um, yeah, just overall the events. So I want to open it up for if there's any questions from um, the folks in the space. Danielle, I'm going to bring this over here. You just hold on to that one. Hi, um, I actually have this question is for Carolyn. Um, the Relevant Unknowns project that Blue Cone does is a really great project for highlighting local artists and entrepreneurs who are all part of the community. So I was hoping that you could tell the people here a little bit about the Relevant Unknowns project. 
please. Uh, sure, sure. I, I have to I have to fully admit that like we got so busy this year and we're so kind of like to be honest, behind in funding and keeping our spaces open that I haven't had the capacity to put out this year's yearbook even though we shot photos from 2020 and 2021. We're gonna go into a yearbook. So this is a, this is a, it's, it's basically a yearbook. It's a yearbook. Uh, you, it's a printed yearbook. I go through simply yearbooks um, and have it printed. Right, oh great. Uh, Julie's always so great with bringing the things. Um, <laughs> You know, and ultimately, so I, I, I love a celebration and I really like the idea of sort of like getting out, trying to get out and find as many people that are making things and doing things and starting things and continuing things. Um, and anybody that wanted to claim being an artist could be in it, you know? Um, and my, my ultimate goal was always to have a digital uh, directory for all of us to be able to access as far as like getting in touch with each other because everybody a lot of it came from a lot of people would call me about every kind of thing you know like every kind of artist do you know this kind of artist I was like I could probably find that kind of artist you know what I mean but I also didn't and so it meant like going out to events like this setting up photo shoots me and Gothic Ghetto, we go to all the different things be like we're doing it here everybody get in and just get your photo taken and then send in you know, um, and then send in content about what you do. It's got everybody's social medias in it. But this was kind of before, like, that, this was, it started five years ago, right? So things have changed in, in how things go, but I really wanted somebody to have something tangible too, because I'm always like, I'm, I'm for like all how we can high tech, but also we, what happens when that's not also the way anymore? Like we need to be prepared for both things, all things. Um, I want to see this in the future, no matter how the future looks, right? But I also wanted to have like things that like that you can hold, that you can look, because everything's so digital, we can become desensitized, you know. And it's not as it's not as precious to us, you know. We don't cherish it as much than being able to like look through a thing that we're all part of. But then also at the end of every year, we throw a big party, and everybody comes, and every we have markets and tattoos, and everybody gets their yearbook and signs their yearbook, like. You know, because I also think about all the kids that didn't go through school, we never got a yearbook. You know how expensive those things are? You know what I mean? And so we ran it so that, you know, it was like $50 to get the yearbook, or you could buy one to, and then donate one, you know, um, to make sure that everybody that wanted one got one. It's always that for me. It's always like having been like a homeless poor kid, you know, whatever, like, I, you know, there's so many things that people don't get to participate in because life is so expensive. And there's fun shit that people don't get to participate in because it's so, ex because it's expensive to put on fun shit, to be honest. Do you know what I mean? Like, I can't produce the next book because I don't have the money to produce it right now, right? Like, I don't have the, I don't have the capacity to print the book. The book is there, like it's in the files. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it's one of those things, like these things are, this. We, we have to figure out what that, how, how that goes, how people can participate and be involved and, and how we can level that playing field for, for those that, that can give, you know, that, those that, that do have a little bit more to be making sure that everybody can participate. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, hello, everybody. My name is Caesar at Mediums Collective, and my question is really around safety. So, Roger, I know you spoke a little bit about energy, 
So we're gonna, we're gonna pause you there for a second because that was actually a big one. But one of the things after you know, 20 something events that we've organized since the beginning of the year uh, that's not really talked about is how do we keep our spaces safe? And so I, I'm, I'm really hoping uh, I could hear from you three gals on uh, some thoughts on how we can continue to keep our creative spaces uh, safe for others and ourselves. Yeah, um, and to be honest, I kind of want to hear from, from you guys a little more because, you know, as, as we grow our events, our, our events have been growing a lot, right? We've been getting 500, 1,000 people at our events, and sometimes it's just me and my brother managing the whole, the whole space, right? So um, I am curious, you know, like last time we had someone who was very problematic at our event, and it was a very family-friendly, and I, you know, feel like I'm very calm and collective, so I was able to de-escalate but it gets to a point, you know, and I'm getting to a point where the events are getting bigger than, than what I can manage, right? And I, I'm figuring out, you know, also getting the resources, because I know, you know, I know what an event needs. It needs security, right? Especially when you have more than 500 people at an event. It needs security, you need volunteers, right? Sometimes for me, my events are all self-funded. I self-fund all the events, and I was able to find a way to you know, turn it into a business, but at the same time, you know, as Carolyn was saying, the events are, they're expensive, right? They're expensive to throw. To throw an event, for me, cost me around two grand to throw a music festival, right? And just a local music festival, so, you know, my money goes towards the artist, goes towards the stage, goes towards some security, right? But sometimes I feel like I have a lack of funding, a lack of resources, because I know you know, and, and most of the times I'm calling, you know, my homies who are securities and, hey, can you come give me a hand? Because this event is going to be bigger than I think it is. And, but at the same time, you know, I can't be making those calls every Friday when I have an event, right? Because they will come and support me for one of the events, but then that's their full-time job as well, right? So, you know, for me is, you know, how do we get more support? And, and something that I've been struggling with is getting more support from the city, you know, because we've done events where we, um, you know, we've put 100 plus artists, we've given them platforms, we've given them compensations, right? And back to the safety part is the events grow so big that I'm, you know, you know, we're, we're cutting even at the events or I don't have enough resources and then I don't want to get to a point where something problematic does happen and I'm short staffed and then what, right? So I'm, I'm learning more about de-escalation, right? I feel like I'm a very calm and collective individual that and the type of energy that we bring to the events, you know, is, is very family oriented, is very collaborative, so that really helps. Um, but I would love to hear from you guys as well, like, you know, for like, from folk life, like how do we, you know, how do you keep a big major festival and how do you de-escalate a situation when, you know, from something that big? Um, well, and with Folk Life, there's a partnership with Seattle Center, and so I know not only does Folk Life hire security, so there's on-ground security, um, but the fire department's right there on site as well for any medical. Um, and same with Friends of Waterfront, I know, you know, the budgets to put on a lot of events, most of it's going to security porter potties, like all these things that you're like, oh, come on, <laughs> that's where the money has to go. 
Um, but yeah, it's, it's going into those things. So I, I hear you, it's, it's very, very expensive. Um, other events that I've been a part of, um, whether it be Circle of Indigenous gatherings, there is that kind of community of security folks, um, five or six people that will come together. They come in with experience of some medical, um, you know, that de-escalation training that you have, and that is their focus. That's what they're thinking of from start to finish of the event. They're usually the last one there. Um, if it's an overnight event and you're gonna have booths up, um, they kind of tag team throughout overnight. And it, it's been successful. Um, I think it's, it's a community of folk that have been working in this um, way together as a collective for, for years. I do think that it's possible. I'm just, my head's trying to think of ways that I've seen security be successful without that large ticket price. You're not calling in, you know, any city members. You're not calling in access or allied security because um, it, it is a, a large amount of money. Um, I will share, though, that I, I feel like some, some ways down at the waterfront that have been really helpful um, have been partnering with um, organizations such as REACH. Um, and so if there's, you know, folks that we are working with on the waterfront that seem like maybe they need a helping hand, they need some resources, they need water, they need to know where maybe they can use a restroom or, or just have a, a, a moment, um, we've had really great success working with REACH. Um, so, yeah, pass it over to you. Um, I think so when it comes to practicing like solid safety culture in a festival setting, I would say in my experience, I think that a lot of the folks with Taking Black Pride have like a social work harm reduction praxis to begin with. And so we're kind of used to working with high acuity folk and trying to build that into like every facet of the festival. Um, in the past, we've definitely had to rely on more not necessarily formal security, like we've had John Brown Gun Club or like Tacoma Black Panthers show up in case there is that need, but we've never actually had to, we've never had physical altercations like that. And I think that's because we make it really clear, like in promoting our event that it's for black folks, it's for BIPOC folks. And we know how to, I hate to use the word, like police our own community, but like we know how to look out for one another. And it hasn't been, that severe of an issue. And I think that's probably also because of like the level of care that's built into the event. Like there's so many different spaces that you can go to. If you're like having sensory overload, you need free food, we got you, free water, whatever. Uh, harm reduction supplies, there's like outreach workers walking around. A lot of us have been outreach workers. And so there's those like that ladder of de-escalation and making sure people feel cared for and they're not, um, getting whipped up into a crisis, and then also keeping an eye out for people who probably shouldn't be there. I know that sounds weird, but I'm sure y'all know what I mean. <laughs> I can speak on that really quick, because that doesn't, that's not weird at all, and there's a certain, there's a certain hint that I, when you were speaking, Caesar, that I got this sense, um, because Julie and I talk about it a lot, you know, community is complicated, and there are people in our community, you know, that are really, going through some shit. 
and uh, we, we hold events that are public and open and publicized and we don't keep people out, you know what I mean, it, to, to a degree. So then how do you handle these sorts of situations? And I think that sense of like, we do kind of police ourselves, like they're like uh, on the block, we, we, we actually, the security wasn't needed, you know, they were really just sort of like, um, you know, to a degree watching the, watching the gates, but people come and go through and, and I think communication amongst the, amongst the vendors, I think communication amongst your community and, and raising that. And I think honestly, as femmes, like we're more likely to have those conversations and continue those conversations. And maybe that's something um, like we have very, you know, we, we talk about safety, we talk about, you know, we got our, our guys that keep an eye, like if one of the, if one of the people shows up, like, it causes more of a confrontation to, to, to address it than to just sort of like, now you've got a scan of people that know it's a situation that are keeping an eye on the situation. Like that's, that's really how a lot of it goes um, when, you don't, when you don't have security. So I think it's a lot more um, communication amongst your vendors, amongst the people that participate in your events. And that's why like your clear communication about the expectation is what creates the safety, right? That, that clear communication of, of and, and you know, it's one thing to just throw a party, but like we're, we're hosting humans, right? We're here, we're all, we show up a whole bunch of different ways. And, um, and anything can go any way. I think there's a great idea for y'all to maybe partner with Reach. They'd love to get out in these things or like, or any sort of like, you know, where, where it's not like security guys are here, right? It's more like we know that there's security here. They're here in a couple of different ways. It's that more subtle way where we recognize amongst community how to, you know, like, okay, and the, and the, and the booths of that do have people who specialize in that. You know, when we can't, like, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not trained in de-escalation, um, but then, then again, maybe that's another conversation of like, let's maybe we should be, maybe, maybe amongst the vendors communities, maybe we should be holding more of those classes. Maybe we should be attending more of those workshops or hosting more of those workshops or having that be a part of something. I think it's, I think it's communication. I think, I think that's the key to safety, you know? If anybody's interested, come talk to me. There's actually, I just signed up for a de-escalation program happening. I think I Converse Media these Tuesday at 9 a.m. I got all the information in my phone, so. If you're interested to hear more about that, definitely come talk to me. Thank you so much. That was, a, that was a really important question. We have about 15 or so more minutes. If anybody else has any additional questions um, that they want to bring. I don't know if we have any questions on Zoom, Mars. Um, okay, no, that's, that's good. Oh, we have, a, okay, I'll start back here, then we'll come back. Hi, I'm Lars. Um, thanks so much for everything that you all have shared. As people that are plugged in and who have been plugged into your communities in Seattle, I'm just curious if there's anything you want to share about the work that's getting made right now. Um, if there's anything you're noticing about, yeah, the work at present, um, maybe that's different from work that's been getting made in the past, or maybe not. What do you mean specific? What do you mean specifically by the work? The work as in the work of the festivals, the work that of art, what's the more specific I think work? I was thinking about the art or any creative labor. 
the art and the labor. So around, specific to around festivals or just sort of art and labor in general? I think art and labor in general in Seattle right now. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> sure. It's kind of a confusing question, it seems, maybe. Um, I guess I'm just curious from your unique vantage points about the work getting made in each of your communities right now, if there's anything about it uh, that feels, yeah, unique to this moment. Do you want Thanks uh, for asking. I do think that, that um, you know, COVID changed a lot. COVID, COVID changed a lot about how artists are doing themselves right now. And I think actually more artists are um, pushing themselves out there because they realize that nobody gave a shit about them, right? So we were gonna have to do it. Like we, we worked, you know, when, when COVID first hit, trying to figure out how all of the artists in our communities were going to survive this, right? Um, and so like that changed a lot of how there are, I feel like there are more artists out there, individual fighting for their, fighting to, for their, in, their own business. More businesses have been started since this because why do that? Why do that, right? Now there's no, now our restaurant jobs are gone too. And so like, I think all of art has changed because of COVID. And then you had more time and you had a, you, it was, you know, we were alone. There was a lot of art made because you were alone. You know, like that's all we did. And that's why On the Block is out here or any of these are out here because it's like, we've been inside for two years. We need to put our art out there places. And, and you know, because we've been, make, we've been sitting home making stuff. I don't know if anybody else wants to speak to that. Cheers to that, that's 100% facts. Um, for me, I feel like, um, you know, there's a lot of resources in our community for artists, there's a lot of resources, but at the same time, we don't know of those resources. I just found out about grants like last year, and, I, and, and then I found out about it, and I'm like, whoa, I've been doing this work for six years, you know what I mean? I've been doing this work for eight years, and I'm just finding out that the city can fund this, you know what I'm saying? So for me, and, and even then, I feel like there's a lot of opportunities, but I, as a creative, sometimes I feel like it's very gated still. You know, a, a lot of opportunities are very gated. I've applied, I have the resume, I've done outstanding work, yet sometimes I feel like, you know, I don't get the, 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 the grants and the funds, right? So I guess for me, it's more uh, uh, resilience and more like I got to pivot because at the end of the day, I need to push my art. I need to push my product. I need to sell my clothes, right? So, you know, I've always felt that way, you know, as a brown individual, as an undocumented individual, as a Mexican individual, you know, there's always been, you know, I've always felt like I had to work 10 times harder just to get even myself and my life out there, you know, and I feel like that re that's reflected as me as an artist because for me, and this is why I started the events, because it was more like, well, I'm not gonna wait around for opportunities to come to me. I'm gonna go ahead and make these opportunities myself, you know, and I'm gonna go talk to you. I'm gonna, hey, if you're a grant, you know, organization, if you're, um, you know, if, if you have the resources, I'm gonna go talk to you, and I go talk to you, but most of the time, when they don't know you, they'll just rub you off, right? Me as a clothing brand, I've go to official storefronts, hey, check out my clothes, check out my brand, right? I got really great product. Most, like, I spend a lot of quality in my product, but a lot of 
stores will rub you off just because you don't have a because you don't have a storefront and they'll look at you less than right so to me i've always felt like i've had to create my opportunities and i'm i, I stopped waiting around for those opportunities to open up and i just started creating my own doors so as artists as creatives and i feel like covid gave me that push as well because it made me think outside the box and it made me think okay like the 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 way that i used to know how to do things completely changed so like how do i continue moving my art because that's what i got to do you know what i'm saying because that's how i pay my bills that's how i continue with my business so um to me i feel like resilience you know what i'm saying and just and just really being innovative and, and just finding ways to navigate your art and really create opportunities for yourself you'll slowly start realizing that you're not only creating opportunities for yourself but then you'll start creating opportunities for your whole community you know so to me that's been beautiful so the question was how do we see things changing in the arts community now versus post or pre covid right would be a summary of it um, I feel like what I observe in community is that there are more, there's more practice around like mutual aid and equity that's built into events. Like so many people, I think that that became like common language during COVID where folks were really looking at like who had the most among us and being like, you need to fucking pay up. You need to help those among like lower among you who are struggling more. And I feel like that's something that I'm seeing with events. Um, I would in terms of what you were saying, like resource sharing, I think that that's really important for these events to be sustaining because not everybody has like the language or the access to know how to write a successful grant. And it would be nice if we had more of a, like an I come up, we come up spirit. And I think that we're seeing like the building blocks of that. Um, and if we can all, you know, work on our like egos and things like that, maybe it'll turn into something amazing in the next few years. But I feel like we have like, the skeleton for that. I don't know if that answers your question or not. I just wanted to respond to what both of you guys said, and I think it ties into everything that you said. Eva said a lot of what you said, too. Um, I, and at the very beginning of this conversation, we were talking about foundation building and systems building, right? So we're at a critical juncture in the art field, period, nationally, internationally, um, because of COVID. And that juncture, in terms of it breaking apart, is, has to be rebuilt. It has to be rebuilt. And what the beautiful thing to me that I'm starting to see is that it's actually being built by the people who are in the community that are part of their own art communities, as opposed to the other model that is actually breaking down, which is actually a really good thing, you guys. Um, and I've been in the art scene for 30 years. This, it hasn't only been happening for the past five or 10 years that artists of color have been leaving the city. It's been happening for 30 years. <laughs> it's just more compounded now because of all the money interrupting. Um, but what I guess what I'm, the point I'm really trying to get to is that 
for me, it takes a pie, right? So it's gonna take government, it's gonna take education, it's gonna take um, the justice system, it's gonna take healing systems, it's gonna take all these multiple systems that actually connect to one another to actually change this infrastructure the way that we really wanna see it happen, right? Because the question that you ask is so relevant. Well, why isn't the city paying for this? Why hasn't the city come to your community and asked you, hey, we heard you're doing this big event. You need some money here, right? So for me, that is how the system has to change, where the system needs to be more proactive than we need to be. I mean, I understand that it's really important for us to be proactive and for us to like start our own businesses and provide opportunities for artists, but we also need to put it into context. Seattle is a B city for art, and it has been a B city for art. If we're gonna be an A city, you gotta focus on being an A city, art city, right? And define what that means. Are we trying to be an A city like the man on Capitol Hill? Do we really want a traditional art scene? Or do we really want to build a more infrastructed, um, collaborative, I bring you up, you bring me up, you use my name, I use your name. We use our, you use my money, I use your money. If that's what we're really trying to build, it's gonna take all three levels. It can't just be artists pushing it, right? But we can start it. That's all I gotta say. And please take the community survey. We got a grant to do a community survey and the community survey is about this stuff. So we can figure out how to help all you guys. Um, there was a comment, uh-oh, I just lost it. There was a comment from the Zoom that, um, that is a nice comment. It said, it's from Mia. Mia says, thanks everyone for sharing. Um, no questions, just wanted to chime in and say because of OTB, visually speaking, has been able to host a safe voices off space, right, in a smack of a heavily audio-centric environment. That alone is so rare, and I've witnessed more non-signers become comfortable with the signing deaf community. It's been a beautiful experience, and I'm deeply appreciative, OTP staff, for providing the opportunity. I truly hope that other organizations will mimic and do the same for their future events, because it's so much needed, kind of overdue. Thank you, Commonfield, for doing that, too. And I think that there was a request for the link. What did you say to the de-escalation? Um, oh, we got it in the Zoom, okay. Does anybody want, hi Ivana? Oh, here we go, Beverly. I wanna thank everyone who's shared and bring in a little history <laughs> as an elder. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks. I haven't been in Seattle forever. I actually live in Tacoma now, but um, the art world, yeah. And I was part of the activist art world in New York, and I, I just wanna remind folks that the black arts movement in New York came out of the civil rights movement, and it was one of the most important movements 
of the 20th century. Um, there have been many different uh, ways of visioning how artists can be in community that have come out of social movements. And looking at those historically will strengthen everything that you do, even though this is a time when things are shifting profoundly, we still need to go back and take some of the lessons from those moments in history. And to forget about them means that you're reinventing the wheel. It doesn't mean that they were perfect. They were very imperfect. But um, as we create a new paradigm, let's collage from different eras and remember that um, folks like the Emergent Strategy Institute came out of Grace Lee Boggs and Jimmy Boggs and the Black Panther movement. Those are such crucial um, grassroots cultural movements. We wouldn't have Adrienne Marie Brown and all the other visionary thinkers without those historical moments. So I just want to bring that in. Thanks. As an elder, it's my responsibility. And would you like to add? Thank you so much, Beverly. Uh, I do want to name on the block, we do see ourselves as a part of a real rich legacy of uh, cultural resilience and grassroots organizing, um, particularly, I mean, shouts to the Central District where we are. Seattle Artists Coalition for Equitable Development is an is a abolitionist formation that we see ourselves in the continuity of the legacy of this work here overtly, and we name that. So thank you for naming that and calling that out. Um, and I want to see if anybody else has any thing to add to that, please. Yeah, I appreciate the comment that you made. I think also one of the important things to do in like studying civil rights history or the histories of folks who've been up against it for a really long time is trying to make sure we don't recreate those like internal system of oppressions that we've had where there's so much misogyny and colorism and ageism and ableism that like was practiced in those civil rights events. Um, and trying to do better than that. And sometimes that does, we do have to recreate things significantly to do so. That's my only comment. So for me, um, something that I've been trying to do with my events, something that I'm really, um, when it comes to pushing forward my events is creating spaces where we bring black and brown, you know, culture into white spaces. That's why we did Fremont Fridays, which was a, you know, black and brown artist music festival, and we did it in a very white space, which was Fremont, right? La Plaza, even though Capitol Hill is, is very, you know, we have a lot of culture here in Capitol Hill, it's also very gentrified, right? And I brought, you know, the Mexican culture to La Plaza. <laughs> here in Capitol Hill. I brought lowriders, right? We're looking like we're in Burien, right? But at the same time, so here's my problem though, and I love, you know, I think it's great to keep our events within our community, but to be honest, I think if we're really gonna make a shift, I think we need to bring our cultures in spaces where we make them uncomfortable, you know what I'm saying? Because this is who we are, and this is, I feel like 
you know, when we blast hip hop in a white space, something that I've been dealing with is I'll, I've, be, I got, I've been getting so many complaints from Fremont Fridays to La Plaza about how we're disruptive, how we're, you know, all this against the community. But when you really come down to the event, you really see the type of love and the type of culture that we bring it. And I think it just makes people uncomfortable. And to be honest, I think for us to be able to make this difference, I think it's really placing our events where it does make people uncomfortable. You know what I mean? Because, hey, look, this is who we are and this is what we do, you know what I'm saying? And if you really care to learn, you'll come down and really see what's going down, going down on the ground level. Where it's not, you know what I'm saying, we're not a hood, we, this is just our culture, you know what I mean? I made a boat party with hip hop on South Lake Union last year. I got so many complaints from the city <laughs> just from doing that. But to be honest, the fact that we were able to bring black and brown artists on a boat in South Lake Union, you don't really see that, you know what I mean? You see that in the Central District. You see that in the in Burien. You see that down in Tacoma, right? You see that where we grew up, because I grew up in SeaTag, Burien area. But, you know, you don't really see that in South Lake Union. So for me, I feel like that's what I've been trying to do. I've been trying to create events in spaces where you don't really see a lot of brown and black culture. You know what I mean? And because I feel like we need to, you know, there's a lot of people that, you know, educate them about what's really going on in our communities, you know what I'm saying? And, and we bring nothing but love and, and real like culture and real unity, you know what I'm saying? And I think it's, it's those type of events that allow people to see things a little differently, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of people that will complain, you know what I'm saying? But at the ground level, I think we need to continue making people uncomfortable. So, yeah. Thank you so much. I think that we have reached the end of our scheduled time for now, but please um, do have a conversation with some of our folks um, at the end. We can continue on Discord as another option. Um, I just really appreciate y'all being here and sharing your, your brilliance and um, appreciate all y'all amazing questions. And uh, thank you for listening. <laughs>I'm Chris Tyler from Common Field. Thank you for listening to this recording from What Now? Towards Artist-Led Movements, which took place at Washington Hall in Seattle's Central District and online from Friday, September 30th through Sunday, October 2nd, 2022. Lead organizers V. Hua and Julie Chang-Shulman programmed many of these sessions, and partners Elisha Johnson, Randy Engstrom, and Ann Folk helped shape the ideas and aspirations of this gathering and many presenters, advisors, and other local culture bearers had integral roles in the development and making of this event. We would like to thank you, our listeners, as well as our partners, presenters, advisors, project team, staff, board, and supporters for making Common Field's final gathering so thoughtful and enduring. What Now was made possible through the support of our funders, including Four Culture, the National Endowment for the Arts, and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts. We'd also like to thank Josh Nucci and his fellow musicians for contributing the grooves you heard in this episode. We would also like to thank our documentary partner, Jack Straw Cultural Center, for producing and hosting these recordings.
we invite you to browse the rest of the What Now audio archive at jackstraw.org. That's J-A-C-K-S-T-R-A-W dot O-R-G.